our purpose really is to help these underbanked, underserved communities who deserve the same access to the tools that we all have, that they are included in this financial world where you can have your dreams be possible by savings, by thinking about budgeting. For Monday, March 30th, 2020, this is episode 66, Audrey Hall from Cash to Fintech, Brightwell. The Southeast Asian region's internet economy has hit a milestone, reaching $100 billion in market capitalization for the first time in 2019. This represents a 39% increase from the previous year. Money is moving in and out of this region in ways never before seen. Audrey and I talked about her mission at Brightwell, a payments technology company whose fintech solutions serve seafarers on the world's major cruise lines, including Carnival, Norwegian, and more. Most of these seafarers live in Southeast Asia. We talked about the war on cash in the U.S. and abroad, combating fraud, and how Brightwell approaches educating users who are mostly unbanked or underbanked, plus the relationship between product and marketing. Welcome to the Beetle Moment Marketing Podcast, an exploration of marketing and business with a focus on emerging technology and voice. I'm your host, Emily Binder, and I make this for you. It's time to crawl in. Hi, this is Emily Binder, and I am here with my very special guest, Audrey Hall. She is the SVP of product at Brightwell, and there she is focused on building financial products that transform global workers' lives. Previously, Audrey served as VP of Client Strategy at 352, where she was responsible for business development, innovation consulting, and client management for new and existing relationships agency-wide. Welcome to the show, Audrey. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I've been wanting to talk with you on the podcast for a while about all the cool stuff that you're doing at Brightwell. And with Brightwell being my client for a few years now, I've seen you really transform the company and just really do some exciting and and neat stuff in the fintech world. And I was curious if you could start with what was Brightwell like when you got there and what needed to change? And before you answer that, I guess, back up a little and explain what Brightwell does. Yeah. So kind of like the quick uh, elevator pitch is Brightwell essentially is a fintech company out of Atlanta, and we create financial products that serve the specific needs of like migrant workers. Today, we have a really strong focus in the maritime industry, but essentially we help people to um, be more in control of their finances, send money home around the world using cross-border remittances, um, and basically join the digital economy. Our, our real goal in the world is about digital and financial inclusion for the those who are traditionally underserved in the marketplace. Right. Uh, under- go ahead. Oh, I was going to say about being underserved. Something that I learned when I first you know, found out about Brightwell is that so many people who work on cruise ships used to be paid in cash. And there were so many issues with that. But, but go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, such a niche industry when you really think about it. I mean, there's so many interesting companies that have spun up to solve problems. Um, and Brightwell is just like one of those. I mean, when we look at the cruise industry, it's kind of archaic how they pay their people on ship. They actually have pallets of cash delivered to every single port. So you're thinking millions of dollars are delivered um, to a pallet, then dropped on a ship. And then you've got payroll accountants who are counting out money and handing it out to every single cruise ship worker. Um, this is incredibly risky. It's cost um, inefficient, right? And 
so they they hadn't really thought about how do we innovate here? How do we deal with this problem? And Brightwell stepped in about nine years ago and created this solution for them to help with payroll, to help these employees be able to have digital funds so that they can get them home to the people who need it most, which are their families uh, back in all of their home countries. And we service people from over 140 different countries around the world today. So it's a really exciting product to get to work on. And it's a very interesting um, issue because we've got so many different laws, regulations, different um, economic factors that are affecting our users, um, and just different solutions that they need that are important to them. That's right. And I was so fascinated to learn about and kind of work on personas for the different user groups that Brightwell has. So you have seafarers that are working on Norwegian cruise lines, Carnival, Princess, Aida, Costa, and many more lines and they, they come from all these different countries, a lot from the Philippines, India, um, Indonesia. I think those were you know some of the most populous. And they all have very different ways that they feel about money, deal with money, have knowledge of technology or even attitudes toward banking. Or can you talk a little bit about that, like how to how to deal with customers, yeah. clients who have such different backgrounds when it comes to money? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, the digital economy at large is something we've really come to expect in the Western world, right? We've had more exposure to technology. We have a little bit more trust in our banking system and um, in our government as a whole. And so you look across the world and the globe, really, and there's tons of these countries where people are leaving home to find work. There's almost over 2 billion people today that are unbanked and underserved in the marketplace. Um, and we've seen that this rapid economic growth across the world, along with like rising populations, uh, it's really putting these emerging markets at the center of a lot of corporate growth strategies because these customers really offer tremendous expansion opportunities uh, for us. But the problem with that, right, is they have very unique needs. Um, And it's very hard to understand all of the global macroeconomic pressures at play and all of the different issues when it comes to crossing language barriers um, or understanding what's most important to these individuals and how they need to interact with us as their fintech solution and and kind of what is that level of education that they have. So we do a lot of work around really making sure that they understand the benefits of the product, what options are available to them, and so that they can kind of be guided to make the best uh, option for them and their family. But it takes a lot of work in terms of truly building empathy with all of our various user groups, understanding um, Like I said, what do they need? So for instance, in the Philippines, cash is incredibly important. And so when we uh, think about what kind of products we have to provide them, we have to think about uh, cash pickup in terms of remittance options. We have to allow them to be able to send that kind of hard currency home because their mother or father needs that in order to buy school supplies or clothing, food, whatever it is. And so um, that's very specific there. Whereas in India, people prefer bank deposits. And so we have to do instead a different type of service for them in order for them to continue to transact. Right. That's that's kind of a challenge as a marketer. I, I used to work on a car rental company business in the U.S. and we had different states or regions and those customers varied. Like, do you want a Dodge Caravan or a Dodge Charger? So the messaging would be very different for those kinds of customers. You're dealing with customers in absolutely different countries and cultures. Just even the cash 
aspect of that and ATMs, like the ATM thing. Talk a little bit about that. Like what what is your relationship to ATMs? Mm, it's a complicated relationship for us. <laughs> it's, complicated. Uh, it's a complicated relationship. I think at the end of the day, Brightwell wants to make it easy for anyone to get access to their money anywhere in the world. And so we definitely have um, specific users that the first thing that they do is they immediately go to the ATM and pull all of their money out. Um, And, you know, it's their right to do so. I think it produces some um, chance for risk. Uh, We see a lot of theft on ship uh, between crew members, um, loss of money, being able to send that money home through like an easy to use application is always, I think, preferable. But at the same time, um, people really are, um, they really are drawn to cash because it's important to have hard currency in hand. There's something about the physicality of feeling that money, knowing that it's there, that's really important to these users. And so it's our job and it's our opportunity to help them to understand why it's important to um, use digital funds, why it's important to have a bank account, why these things are a benefit to them. And it's our responsibility to make that clear. And so we kind of have a little war, I think, on ATMs because because I think at the end of the day, we want to make sure that people understand the benefits of the product. But if that's how they want to use their money, totally fine. Right. It's it's interesting with cash because you've seen countries like Sweden are going cashless. And mm-hmm. mo- most American, well, what is it? More Americans say that they don't carry cash than ever before. 30% don't use any cash in a given week. So there are pros and cons because you could say, oh, cash Cash gives me privacy from surveillance by banks, credit card companies, and even government. So it's it's like that last frontier of still having some privacy, mm-hmm. but it is dangerous and it, it can be associated with theft. I mean, but on the other hand, there's fraud when it comes to the digital currencies too, which is something that you combat at Brightwell. And I've been shocked to just find out the level of attacks, right? Like the fraud oh, yeah. that fraudster is trying to impersonate Brightwell. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and just to kind of build on your last point, it's interesting. Uh, the war on cash has been something that's ever evolving, right? And we've definitely seen a reduction with that in the U.S. But that's also hurt a lot of businesses, right? I mean, when you look at the mom and pop stores, they really rely on cash because they have the fees that are really applied to credit card transactions. Um, but when we, when we think about fraud as well, I mean, fraud is a part of my world every single day. And there are fraudsters out there that their full-time job is trying to figure out ways to use fear and or incentives to give you um, that kind of moment of, hmm, should I just should I give that information away? Should I provide that to that person? Um, and that that happens constantly to our users. And, you know, it's it's so disheartening sometimes to see how susceptible they are to fraud. When you look back um, in the early 90s when all of these phishing scams came out, right, we would all fall for them much easier than we would today. We're a little bit more hesitant. We read the email a little bit more closely. But a lot of our users have never seen anything like this. So they'll fall for things like um, sign up, tell me all of your information, 
your account information, your credit card, um, your CVV, tell me everything and you'll get a hundred dollar bonus. And that's enough of an incentive for them to, to do it. And so we've really had to do a lot in terms of making sure that our users are protected, um, even from themselves at times. And then in addition to that, that we continue to educate them and to look for the warning signs and to know what it might look like when they get a phishing scam. And that might be through email, that might be a phone call, um, someone pretending to be or impersonating our company or a support person. Um, They'll set up fake Facebook accounts and um, hierarchy is incredibly important on ship. So what they'll actually do is they'll set themselves up as the captain of a ship and then they'll reach out to the employee and say, you need to do this thing. You need to give me your information for this, your password, your account. And you don't say no to a captain. And so they will. Uh, and so they're easily swayed into, um, persuaded, excuse me, into actually giving that information away. Uh, so we have to do everything we can to protect them. I've seen that people will duplicate Brightwell Navigator's site and there will be the tiniest difference that most people might not, pres- like the URL, the second L might be mm-hmm. actually a capital I, but it looks the same on quick glance. It's it's crazy, yeah. yeah. Um, we set we shut down about two hundred to three hundred sites at, every month um, wow. that are spun up as uh, frauds uh, fraud sites to get our users to enter their information in. It's so hard as a company when you're in charge of a brand because the the users don't really know it's not your fault. It's it's these people that are committing fraud. It, it almost gets all rolled into the user experience of, well, I had trouble or I can't trust them. And kind of from a marketing angle, how do you deal with that? It's it's the thing where you end up getting blamed. They don't know the difference. They're tweeting Brightwell and saying, well, this, this site is phishing. Brightwell's phishing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> That is definitely a reality for us. And again, I think the the most that we can do in that scenario is continue to build really smart tools um, to protect them on our side with our product. We do a lot when it comes to that. Um, and then in addition, it goes back to that education piece I was just talking about. It's really important that we train them to look for the signs, to understand um to look for the URL, to look at who's the two from the email address, um, to ask questions, hang up the phone, call us back direct directly. Um, and just, we will never ask for this information. We have that information. We don't need you to tell us it. Uh, and so it's, it's definitely been a big undertaking for us in the last few years as fraud has continued to rise. Um, and it's just going to be something that we have to continue to iterate on and find new ways to educate them. And some of it is, yeah, they're going to blame us, but it's our responsibility to take care of them and to do everything we can to make their experience the best it can be. When you say take care of them, and I've heard other other language that you've used on this conversation, things like guiding them and educating them, I think this is something that I noticed early on when, when we started working together mm-hmm. that you really approach this as being the guide, right? Not the hero. And, yeah. and this is something that so many companies get wrong because they think it's all about them and they don't realize, no, it's about the person who's using your product. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of our core values of our business is user first, and we really have a strong empathy for our end user. And we, it's kind of, it's at the core of everything that we do. The way that we hire people even comes down to, are you passionate about, 
about helping others and making a difference? Do you feel driven by our purpose in the world? And our purpose really is to help these underbanked, underserved communities who deserve the same access to the tools that we all have, that they are included in this financial world where you can have your dreams be possible by savings, by thinking about budgeting, by understanding what to do with discretionary income. Um, and so when we think about how do we message to them, how do we talk to them, I like to think of it as not necessarily a family member, but a really trusted partner, someone who is going to give you the facts, someone who's going to make it clear and transparent, and at the end of the day, wants you to pick the best option for you. And that's even when I was talking about the ATMs, that's the difficulty, right? We, of course, want what's best for the business and we want to survive and thrive and be able to continue to offer them financial services. But at the same time, my my main position is how can I make their experience the best? How can I make sure that they feel like they know what they're doing, that they're making the right choice for them and their families, and I can be that guide? Um, and when we think about how we message that, how we talk about ourselves, it's all about them. They are the hero of our story. They are the one who is conquering um, the castle or going in this direction. And we are truly just the Yoda to the Luke Skywalker in that case. Um, we are just helping them to know what to do, where to turn, um, and teaching them the tools to, to accomplish that. You mentioned unbanked, underbanked, and these are terms that we hear discussed in fintech. What's the difference between unbanked and underbanked? Yeah. So unbanked is you do not have a bank account. You do not have access to financial tools. Underbanked um, is you might have a, a bank account or something like that, but you still use a lot of things like payday loans. Um, it's a, it's just a little bit of a nuance and a difference between the two. I was wondering because in, in researching a little, I I know the stat there are 2 billion unbanked people in the world, and mm -hmm. this is this is something more relevant to Brightwell because you have a global user base. And in the U.S., there are 55 million unbanked people. So it's not this problem like, oh, it's over there because it's yeah. here too. It is here too. And that's actually what's so interesting about the war on cash. If we go back to that for a moment, um, the big argument on the other side of why we should keep ca cash systems in place is because there are so many people, even here in the U.S., that still rely on cash, that still don't have access or can't open a bank account um, for m multiple reasons why that's happening. But that's definitely um, something that we think about, something that is even in our backyard. And when it comes to testing, or trying to find people who are like our audience, we leverage that in that community here too. What do you mean by testing or, or using people to find like audiences? Yeah. So going back to our, our very first question of how has Brightwell changed? Well, when Brightwell first started, we were... I would say um, pretty corporate. We had spun out of a bank out of Chicago and we didn't have really the new kind of mindset that we have today that's more startup-like, that's more uh, thoughtful when it comes to testing, learning, and iterating. We've really made a commitment to that in our, our company as a whole. And so what that really looks like and what that means is that we have a whole bunch of hypothesis about how our users need to be messaged to, what... Um, features and services are important to them or how they would work through a particular flow within the product itself. But we do a lot of testing with actual users or like audiences in order to validate um, those hypotheses. And then that helps us to actually 
make the best experience possible and tailor it to their specific needs and how they want to be spoken to. Um, And so it's incredibly important for any organization to really make a commitment to that at every opportunity. And so I'm not talking about like focus groups. I'm talking about like one-on-one prototyping, iterations, showing them something, letting them interact with it on their uh, device or on one of ours. And then they actually give us real-time feedback and we record it. And then after these kinds of sessions, we'll come back to the organization and we'll host a, a, like a session with everyone and tell them what we've learned. And so that we continue to pump that back into every part of the business. I love that. And focus groups, I think, are mostly a waste of money. I mean, I've- they are. <laughs> they're so <laughs> they're such a waste. It's so antiquated. And if you know anything about psychology, people who when there's an expectation or there's a leading question, they want to perform for the person running the test. Right. So they, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, what am I supposed to say? How, how do I be good? <laughs> right. Yeah. Just like kindergartners. Uh, but <laughs> I completely agree. And it was so funny. I was reading an article the other day that they said, if you want to get honest answers, always interview a couple together. Um, they were like, because the wife will always call it the husband. No, honey, you don't actually do that. Or vice versa. The husband will call it the wife. and like, no, she doesn't actually clean every day or whatever that might be. <laughs> that is such a good idea. You obviously have a user experience and design thinking background and kind of ethos in the way that you approach things. And I know that you're, you're overseeing product, but you also, I don't know if you still are overseeing marketing at one yeah, point, you're doing both. It's so you're doing product and marketing. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I currently lead um, six departments actually at Brightwell: um, product, marketing, engineering, infrastructure, and design. Um, and so, yeah, it's a lot right now, but it's exciting, and I love the differences between all of them. But at the same time, I think it's a really healthy when you figure out how all of these different departments can work together, um, especially product and marketing, right? Like those two should be in communication constantly because what you're building, how you're building it, and the why behind it, um, marketers have to take that information and then spread that message. Uh, And then they get so much feedback out in the wild as well that they can bring back and that it can influence what we do in the product roadmap. And so having those teams collaborate and work together is incredibly important. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the product and marketing going hand in hand is so key because you can't market something that's not a good product and really vice versa. The product needs to be in people's hands. They need to be educated on how to use it. So then Mm -hmm. there's the marketing. So, well, so what's next for you? What's next for Brightwell as far as you've grown so much, you've had so much success in onboarding new clients and getting all of these seafarers using your technology so that they can send money home, which empowers their communities, their families, everything. How, how do you even go bigger and extend this mission? Yeah. So when you really look at our position in the market today, I know we have a focus on crews and that's really who we're interacting with the most today. Um, but our financial services are kind of at this intersection between a digital bank, um, peer-to-peer services, and remittances. And we're kind of just right in the heart of all of that. And so we're really uniquely positioned right now in the landscape to offer this like really holistic financial service um, to the global market. And so this next year, we're really focused on going direct to consumer and we'll be launching in the Philippines uh, later in this year as well so that we can provide those services 
services to those users at a wider scale. And so it's exciting for us. We're super excited about um, the potential of helping more people and really providing them something that's just for them um, that many other companies are not thinking about. So when you say you're launching in the Philippines, what is it exactly? Yeah. So uh, like I said, we are that kind of intersection of those three things. So we provide them with a value store, um, which is a way to store currency in in. Um, their mobile app. And so there's a savings account component to that. They'll have a card. Um, They're able to use our remittance services. We actually actually aggregate a bunch of remitters together within our platform. So essentially think of like the kayak model of remittances. Um, We are the only person out there that's been able to do that. So we've got Um, Western Union, MoneyGram, TransferWise, all within our platform so that users can look through the different options that are available and select the one that's best for them and kind of do that in a very quick um, and easy way. And then in addition to that, being able to send peer-to-peer payments just like Venmo between all of our users. And so when we go into the Philippines, um, we're going to be looking at what other specific services do those individuals need within that country and that market. Um, And we're going to actually be opening a physical location there as well. Oh, a physical location. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, we're, it's just going to be an office. Um, and that's really just important for us because the more that we want to do work in these different markets, it's important for us to have a lo- um, an actual location there and to be closer to our users. And we'll be hiring there as well. Um, our Actually, our call center is in the Philippines as well, which is amazing. Yes. And they're incredible people that work there. Yes, yes. I think a lot of people have found great workers from the Philippines, um, especially with digital and virtual assistants and just a great work ethic. So, Oh, my gosh. There's some of the most incredible, wonderful, welcoming people I've ever met. Um, I just That's actually to be said of all cruise ship workers that I've ever interacted with. They are just some of the most amazing people. When you think about the sacrifices that they have to make, that they're away from their families from like six to nine months, and they work all day, all night. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And they do it all because they care so much about their family and making a difference in their lives and providing them more than what they had. Um, and when you look at us in the Western world, not, not many of us are willing to make a similar sacrifice or, or never have to put in that position. Position, right? Um, but they have such positive, optimistic outlooks about everything. Um, and it's just wonderful to be around them. It just energizes me and it makes me want to come back in the next day and the next day. Oh, <laughs> that's great. I mean, that must be why Brightwell keeps winning all these awards. You just won AJC Top 150 Workplaces in Atlanta and mm-hmm. Technology Association of Georgia's Top 40 Innovative Companies in Georgia. It's just yeah, I mean, this wasn't happening a few years ago before you got there, Audrey. I've I've seen it, so congrats. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We, it's a, really a team effort. I mean, this company has just made a commitment, and I think that's from the top down of really changing the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we um, put our users first, the way that each of our teams thinks about that. Um, it's been a really big transformation and, and it's been a group effort because you can't just lead it from one person or two. It has to be something that everyone accepts and commits to and works on and, and continually invests in. And the company itself, it has gone through some major transitions in these, even in the past 
few years that I've been here, I mean, I feel like each year the company looks vastly different than it did the year before. Um, And I'm just so excited about that. That's a place you want to work when you feel committed to the purpose and the mission and you get to see that you can actually have an impact on things and make an organization better. That's when you just like magic happens. And you're just like, this is what I've been searching for. (laughs) Wow, that's powerful. Well, that's great. I'm so happy for you that you are able to make this impact with Brightwell. And um, we're going to wrap up soon. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you the fun content based question, which is, can you recommend a podcast or a podcast episode that you've enjoyed recently? Yes. So um, very uh, perfect for what we've been talking about. Uh, The Reply All podcast is fantastic in itself, Um, but they have a particular episode, number 102, and it's called Long Distance. And it's a really interesting episode that focuses on the fraudsters that we were talking about. So if you've ever been a victim of like tech support scam or you've received a uh, received a call from someone that seemed a little suspicious or something like that, and you're like, what's really going on behind the scenes, then this is the perfect podcast for you. Uh, in it, they track down a call center who's scamming people out of India, and it's a fascinating look really at the other side of what's going on there. Um, so I highly recommend it. It's just, it's great. Okay. Reply all the long distance episode. We will have all of this in the show notes at beetlemoment.com slash podcast if you want to click on those links. And Audrey, let people know where they can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can find me Audrey Hall or on Twitter. My Twitter name is A-N-S-I-A-N-K-O. And I'd love to connect with anyone. Okay. Thank you so much, Audrey. Thank you. When it comes to podcasts and voice platforms like Alexa and Google Assistant, are you confident that your marketing strategy is setting you up for success? I've helped dozens of clients in North America and Europe with voice marketing, and I offer private strategy consultations resulting in a customized action plan. Visit emilybender.com call to book your consultation in just a few clicks. That's emilybender.com call.